to another edition of Creator Talks. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. On today's show, I have two guests. The first, Colin Bunn. He is the writer of Cold Spots, being published through Image Comics on August 22nd. My second guest is Mark Torres. He is the artist on said book. It is a five-part miniseries, and Colin is doing what he does best, horror stories. Have you seen those horror investigative TV shows where people feel cold spots where spirits or aberrations may be? Well, something like that happens in this series, but it is taken to a whole new level. Now, accompanying this series is a soundtrack, so each issue will come with a downloadable MP3 that goes along with the book, and we will discuss who composed and played that music. Between each interview, I have a discussion with editor David Lee of Webtoons. They are conducting a contest looking for new writer-artists to enter their Discover Creator Contest, which ends on September 13th. So your submission must be in by September 13th and meet the guidelines for their web comics. So we have a brief discussion, about 10 minutes, where we'll discuss the contest, Webtoons, and how you or someone you know who is a writer-artist can enter the contest and there is a huge cash prize. But first, my discussion with Colin Bunn, who was last here on episode 31 to discuss his series through Image Regression, talking about his latest horror series, Cold Spots. Here now, on Creator Talks. Back to Creator Talks. Oh, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. It's been a while. It's been over a year. It was episode 31. We were talking about regression. Oh, yeah. And what episode are you on now? Oh, uh, 125, 126, something wow. like that. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of episodes. <laughs> oh, man. So um, your output's amazing. My own comic reading pile. I've got Regression, Dark Ark, The Dam, Six Gun, Bone Parish. You just wrapped up Harrow County, and now you're working on As Guardians of the Galaxy. On my poll list, I don't add your titles individually. I just say, add Colin Bunn's books, you know? <laughs> it's, it's, seriously, that's the way it looks. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Everyone else, follow his lead, please. <laughs> Did I miss anything you're working on? I think you're probably, I think that was everything uh, that's, that is announced. You know, I'm, I'm working on a bunch of little things here and there that haven't been announced or are very, very early in their uh, creation. I know you also wrapped up a Kickstarter fairly recently, Metro, Walter Flanagan and Brian Quinn. That's taking up a lot of my time right now is just making sure all the trains are running the way they're supposed to on getting that delivered. But yeah, and that was my first uh, Kickstarter. It was a, you know, it, it was a learning experience, but it's pretty exciting. I like that as a as a tool for creators as an, and an option for creators. Now, you write superhero comics, but you also write horror comics. That's what I enjoy the most, honestly. Horror is something you always come back to, and it must be your favorite genre. However, I do like how you balance light and dark, doing hero work and doing horror in your work. Is this intended not just to flex your writing skills, but also to replenish your creativity for writing comics? To some degree, it absolutely is, because uh, it also it refreshes my interest in the different books I'm working on. But it also flexes different muscles. You learn different, uh, you know, every book I write, I learn something. I, I take something away from every book. And writing a horror book versus writing a, a superhero book, you're flexing different muscles, you're using different skills, and, you know, you can pick up tricks and ideas that can, you know, translate from one to the other. So it's it's also a, a way to just uh, hopefully to improve, too, by trying different different kinds of books. Is there anything else that you do? to replenish your creative well outside of writing different kinds of books. Are there other things that you do, that you read, that you watch to kind of help inspire you and get some new ideas? Uh, you know, I read a great deal. So, you know, I'm always reading something. Sometimes I'm a very fast reader, and then I go through months and months where I'm a very, very slow reader. But I'm always reading something one way or the other. This is something I haven't been doing a lot of over the last, you know, 10 years, but I've started writing a lot more prose uh, lately, it's a nice change of pace to write prose. And yeah, just uh, spending time with my family, kind of taking a break from the office completely is something that's uh, I, I try to do a couple of times a week now. 
uh, that's also new, just like writing prose, <laughs> taking up, you know, not spending time with my family necessarily, but uh, just making a real effort to set that time aside and make a concentrated effort to step away. Yeah, it's tough. You know, you got to really be disciplined to set that kind of schedule. When you're managing your own schedule, when you're a freelancer, you have to be really good at making sure that you're setting time <laughs> and scheduling things for yourself, you know, having your own, quote, meetings and appointments that you can make sure you get certain things done. Right. Well, let's talk about your book coming up, Cold Spots Through Image. This is basically, you know, the abstract description of what the book's about. Dan Kerr, he left his wife Alyssa and his unborn daughter, Grace, about ten years ago. Now they're missing. Dan's trying to find them again, and in the process, he encounters ghosts when his daughter is nearby. It's a pretty cool topic, pretty cool idea. There's a drop in temperature in the room where it's believed there's a spirit. And hence, you know, title of the book. The look of the book, uh, the the faces that Mark creates of these apparitions are fantastic. Really creepy stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Have you ever encountered an apparition or a ghost in your own <laughs> life? Or do you know of anybody else who has who described the situation to you? I spend a lot of time talking to people who uh, – there was a time in my life years ago where I was talking to a lot of people who were uh, – you know, paranormal experts or professional or amateur ghost hunters. And I've always been really fascinated by that. So I've heard their accounts. And I'm one of those people that uh, I want to believe. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very much a person who wants to believe in that kind of thing. But I'm also an unfortunate skeptic. I want to believe, but I'm always looking for the rational explanation, too. You know, as far as things that I've experienced myself, uh, I've been talking a lot about that lately is just little things that have happened. And, yeah, there's there's been a few things that I feel like uh, have potentially supernatural <laughs> or spiritual significance. And uh, the one that I that I was thinking about just recently, when I first moved out of uh, my parents' house and was out of, you know, I was out in my own first apartment. One of the things I took with me when I moved from my parents' house was uh, this antique bed that they had. Every night when I was sleeping in that bed after I moved into this apartment for, I don't know, several weeks, there was a figure standing at the foot of the bed. It was a figure of an old woman. Usually she was in shadow and she was saying something that I couldn't understand every night right as I would go to bed. I kind of did research on hypnagogic dreams where the dreams you experience when you're just you know, on the verge of sleep, um, but this was a continuing thing for me. And I had a friend, a coworker that worked at the bookstore where I was working, uh, who was one of these you know amateur or semi-professional ghost hunters. And I invited him over to to see if he had any any input. And he walked in around the apartment and looked around. And he walked into the bedroom and he looked around. And then he looked at the bed and he just said, uh, "Get rid of that bed. You'll never experience that again." Really? And I never slept in that bed again, and uh, I never saw that figure again. Now, could that be some sort of, you know, power of suggestion, you know, whatever, you know, maybe, but uh, but that's something that that kind of thing influences this kind of story for sure. Did you feel a certain coldness when that spirit was present? I don't necessarily remember a coldness uh, in that case. You know, uh, I don't know that the cold spot phenomenon was on my mind at that time. Uh, it's something I've I discovered and I think I knew about, but something I really started digging into much later. Did it creep you out at all? Did it shock you or were you just kind of... Oh, yeah. It was it was terrifying. Okay. <laughs> it, I would think it was, so. <laughs> it, was, it was awful. It was not a friendly visitation if it was a visitation. <laughs> mm. oh, man. <laughs> so your story, Cold Spots, this is going to be a five-parter? Yeah, it's a five-part, you know, initial series. It introduces some characters and some ideas that could be expanded into a much bigger story. We'll probably end up doing that as a series of miniseries, assuming that readers want more and they stick with the book. <laughs> now, how did you link up with Mark to do the art of the book? Years ago, I was doing a book with Oni Press uh, called Hellbreak, and Mark was the first artist that they suggested to me. Um, and they sent me his work, and I, I really connected with it. I really liked uh, his visual style. He was uh, originally going to be the artist on Hellbreak, but then you know, different things get in the way, you know, things change, and he was unable to do that project at the time. But uh, I stayed in contact with him, you know, over the years, and uh, and we frequently talked about uh, maybe doing something together, some creator-owned project together, 
And eventually the timing just worked out where he was available and he was interested in doing something. And I, you know, I pitched him the idea for cold spots and he jumped all over it. Now, working with him on this series so far, what have you learned from each other about storytelling? Not about each other, but about storytelling as creators. With Mark in particular, uh, he brings such a, a visual mood and tone to the page. And I usually try to convey those ideas in my script. And I think that it's just dawned on me more and more with, with Cold Spots, maybe more than any other book, how important it is to get that the idea of mood and tone right. And uh, and and Mark, you know, since I feel like he's gotten it, so he hit the nail on the head with this, with the way he draws the ghosts, but not just the way he draws the ghosts, but the way he draws people and the way he he draws the surroundings and the setting. Everything looks sort of chilly and moody and dreary and maybe a little wet, and uh, I think that works very well for this book. I think it's just struck me how important it is to to strike that right mood for a book. Now, there's another layer to this experience that really helps to set the mood for the book. There is a soundtrack. There is music that can accompany you while you're reading the book. little QR code in the back. I listen yes. to it. have my little QR code. Uh, now, is it one song per issue, or is there going to be a playlist buildup over time? I think right now Mark's playing, and this is all Mark's brainchild. Okay. <laughs> this, you know, this is you know him showing off that he's multi-talented and is not only a talented artist but is also a composer of music and uh, i think his plan is that there'll be a song per issue all right wow that's really cool he's definitely a musical he has a musical mind so i wouldn't be surprised if he goes above and beyond with that <laughs> and that code's going to be at the back of the book yeah it's in like the, where the letters page will be on on the book just so folks know if they want to listen to it while they're reading they don't want to spoil anything they might want to you know Kind of yes. peek at that and <laughs> maybe image can move it up front. I don't know. <laughs> just, just, a, just a thought. That's a, that it, I, didn't, I wasn't thinking about spoilers when we put it on the letters page, but you're right. If they want to listen as they're reading, you might want to just be careful. The last time I had you on, you answered questions I'd ask all my guests. Sure. I've added to it. <laughs> all right. So when you were growing up as a teenager, you know, like 12, 14, what yeah. posters or pictures were in your room and what were you listening to at the time? Oh, wow. I don't know what I was listening to, uh, you know, posters. I was a pretty, uh, you know, I was pretty much into all the things that during my youth, if you're into, you're considered a, a major geek and nerd. So I had a lot of, <laughs> I probably had a lot of Star Wars. You know, I think my, my room was probably pretty decked out in Star Wars for a long time from the original movie on up. I don't think at 12 and 14 this was the case, but, uh, you know, at one point I even, you know, I had Star Wars wallpaper and I had Star Wars figures hanging, you know, ships hanging from the ceiling. And uh, it was pretty decked out in Star Wars. But I think by 12 or 14 that had that had moved on. I know that I had uh, Conan the Barbarian movie poster. <laughs> Around that time I was going to video stores and just asking them for their extra movie posters. So <laughs> there might have been a lot of uh, direct-to-video movie posters hanging up around the time. Oh, and there was a Evil Dead poster hanging up, but I'm not sure. That might have been a little later. I can't remember. But uh, yeah, it, it was usually a lot of movie posters. Listening to stuff, it was all sort of a, a wide range. When I was going to school... Our bus drivers were students. They were seniors in high school. And one of the seniors in high school uh, who drove a bus during the day was a DJ of a, of a rap program at night. And I would listen to him and his program where he would mix mix different songs and everything uh, in his different style and, and add his own little flavor to it. And I, I remember listening to, to that a lot. But it probably wasn't until much later that I – a few years later that I really got into – you know, probably figuring out what I liked musically and, and doing my own thing. Music, uh, when, when we get to people who, you know, oh, they love these bands and they can, I've got friends today that love hundreds and hundreds of bands that can, you know, identify different songs and different bands, you know, within seconds of them playing. Uh, that's never been me. <laughs> I like music. I love listening to it. And, and I have favorite songs and, and favorite styles of music, but I've never been the guy who can, I've never been, 
uh, a diehard in the weeds fan. Okay, so like on a radio show, plays a contest where they play a few notes and say, "What's that song? What's that band?" Oh You're no, not the guy. Right? No, no, that I put my wife on that. My wife is one of those people who can identify music from every era, every decade, every year, every month. She can do all that from just a few notes, but I've never been able to. Now, thinking back, is there a birthday in your life, one that really stands out in your memory, something that was special about it, someplace you were, someone you were with? When was that birthday? What was it? It would have been probably in the 12 or 13 range. I'm trying to think when G.I. Joe had just launched as the small versions of the figures, as the three-and-a-half-inch figures. And and look, this was a very selfish birthday, so... (laughs) I wanted so badly to complete a collection of these G.I. Joes, and uh, I invited dozens and dozens of people, people I would, you know, I had my core group of friends, but I invited people who were definitely outside that core circle to this birthday party, (laughs) and uh, and there were, you know, just dozens of people at the party, so it was a fun party, but I'd also been very specific about what I wanted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the birthday. So I had all these great G.I. Joe figures coming in. You know, after that, my uh, my dad, I don't know how we, well, I think we just threw them all on the back of the truck. And we all went to uh, this arcade called Space Odyssey that was in, in the town I grew up in. And, and we, we kind of took over the, the arcade and played video games for a couple of hours. That's the one that really, from, you know, as a kid, for my childhood birthdays, it really stands out. Part of it because it was my devious nature to get all the G.I. Joes that I ever wanted. And uh, in part because, you know, it, it was actually a really good birthday party. And it was nice to see all those people there. I was the same way as a kid. Like, okay, here's my list of things I want. I was very selfish about it. Now it's like, what birthday? I don't want to talk about it. Where, yeah, I don't want anything. For, no. I don't want any gifts <laughs> No. <anymore>. No. No. <laughs> Now, speaking of action figures and toys, thanks for the segue. If a toy <laughs> company were to make an action figure of you, what would be your accessory, sir? <laughs> it would be a like a bottle of Mountain Dew <laughs> and, <laughs> and a notebook. It would be the most boring accessories ever. There'd be a notebook and you know some pens that seem to not have their caps and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, a, a bottle of, of some sort of heavily caffeinated soda, maybe a bottle of bourbon. It would be uh, the accessories that no one would really want. I wouldn't have any really great accessories, I don't think. Okay, so these would be probably rare and collectible figures at some point because so few would be produced because there's low demand. <laughs> right. They, this is not a figure that people are really going to go out of their way to buy. Uh, you know, maybe it has some interchangeable hats that I could wear, you know, different hats. But uh, if you got that figure, you would quickly give it the accessories from some other figure that you would that it would carry around. Okay. Or it would be the one that you, that like a red shirt in Star Trek is the, when you're playing <laughs> would always die first. (laughs) Last of my phone questions. What is the one question that an interviewer has not posed to you that you would like someone to ask you, something that people don't know about you that you do want them to know? What would that be? I don't want anyone to know anything about (laughs) me. You're at the wrong place then. (laughs) Yeah. um, Yeah. I'm not sure what, let me think here. The, The one thing I would really like people to know that no one's ever asked me about Hmm. I'm pretty much been an open book with everything, so I think people have always asked about things. Wait, if I tell you this question, am I going to have to answer it? Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> I'm not sure that I want that to, to be the case. Um, I would like people to ask me about my business management style. Ooh. Because, uh, you know, before I broke into comics, I worked in, you know, a real, quote-unquote, real job. And I managed a lot of people. I managed a lot of different departments. You know, I'm not going to be humble about it. I was really good at that job, and I was really good at managing people. I was really good at conducting meetings. I was really good at getting teams of people to produce amazing, you know, work. And that's something I don't think people know about me. I'm very good at it. I think I could, I would still be good at it. And I'd never want to revisit that part of my life. That's probably the thing uh, people don't know about me that they could ask about. I think I would be an amazing business consultant. Because I think most business consultants are a joke. I figured them out pretty early on in my life and survived dozens of business management consultants coming into where I worked and, you know, doing their restructurings and things like that. And I've I've survived them all because I figured them all out. 
And I think I could be, uh, I would be a really good one if I ever needed to. Maybe that's what I'll fall back on when comic books finally abandon me. <laughs> no, I hope not. Now, do you have any con appearances planned before the end of the year? Before the end of the year, there's only a couple, and they're they're smaller conventions. I'm actually involved with putting on a convention in my hometown of Springfield, Missouri. Uh, we're doing a convention called CaveCon at the end of September. Springfield's a, a college town. It's got a lot of people that are interested in this kind of thing. And this is a you know a first year convention, but we're bringing in a ton of really you know amazing talent. Uh, we've never had a convention that I know of that's brought in a worthy artist alley. So we're bringing in a ton of great talent for that, and that's taking up a lot of my free time right now is planning for that convention and trying to make sure it's a you know, a success. But obviously I will be at that convention. That's the next one on my list for sure. Well, what I'd suggest is make sure that if you're tabling there, make sure that they put you near an air conditioning register so there's a cold spot around you. You see, <laughs> kind of help promote yes. the book. Right, yeah. <laughs> I think Cullen's nearby. <laughs> yeah, I'm right under a vent. That would be uh, awesome. To, <laughs> to, 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 that's, a, that's a good strategy. I like it. <laughs> now, before we close, I want to give you a chance to plug your YouTube video show, Missouri Swagger with writer Dennis Hopeless. My bitter enemy, Dennis Hopeless. Uh, yes. So uh, my arch rival in comic books and I have started doing a video channel on YouTube called Missouri Swagger. It's pretty easy to find if you type that into YouTube. Uh, we just set it up. You know, we promoted it a little bit, but we haven't gone out of our way to really get out there and promote the heck out of it, mainly because we're not good at it yet. We've been talking about doing this for at least a year, but we keep, you know, stalling and, and waiting because it wasn't perfect. So we decided to put our first few episodes out there with, you know, as Dennis puts it, warts and all. And, and all the audio problems we have and everything else. We're two comic book writers, so we talk about comic books and writing, but we also just talk about our lives and different things that we've experienced, things we like, things we don't like. We think it's just a fun show for people to really get to know us and, and understand who we are, maybe learn a little bit about comics. So far, we've talked about romantic comedies and and wrestling and... Uh, <laughs> And a lot of talking, you know, we, we tell a lot of stories about our parents and the things they were up to when we were younger. And we named the show Missouri Swagger. Maybe we're trying to define what that means and what that is. Uh, but I think it's a fun show and we're, you know, pretty dedicated to keeping these things coming out and, uh, and improving on them. Even with all the problems right now, I think people have really been enjoying it. So as we get better at actually, you know, making videos, I think people really, really uh, get a lot out of it. Okay, so folks want to check that out. This is kind of the soft launch, so uh, they can yeah. see it, warts and all. Check it out. Get on yeah. the ground floor. I will catch up with Mark soon. I think he just got home. I just got a note. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll take care of him separately because I know you have some place to be. But, Colin, thank you for joining us again on Creator Talks. Man, I'm really, really happy to be here. Thank you so much. And before I catch up with Mark Torres, I talked to David Lee, editor of Webtoons, about the Discover Creators Contest. David, welcome to Creator Talks. Thank you for having me, Chris. I am the head editor at Webtoons. So David, tell me about Webtoons, when it was founded, and why it was founded. Uh, Webtoons started in 2005 in Korea by our founder. It was more of a response to a print industry that started to crumble in early 2000 in Korea, partly due to a lot of people being able to rent comics at a bookstore like Blockbuster for comics. When that started to happen, a lot of creators did not have any sort of outlet to go to. And that's when our creators saw this and created a website called Webtoon, backed by Naver. And he started Webtoon with three creators. And one of them was actually, at the time, doing comics for a real estate agent. That was his pick, either do a comic for real estate agent or do a comic for Webtoon. And now he's one of the most popular creators on Webtoon in Korea. I would say he hits seven figures uh, occasionally thanks to Webtoon and he has his own live action series and I think the reason why Webtoon could thrive when the comic industry in Korea was actually going downhill. It was going to where the audience was and audience were online. So David, we know that audiences have evolved over time. How did Webtoons evolve over time to adapt to new ways of reading digital content? In early 2000, they were mostly on their PC and scrolling was a very natural way to read content. I think it was only natural for comics to adapt to that. So, you know, you could scroll to read 
a comic or a visually illustrated story. And I think that hit it off. And with the mobile phone sort of taking over the world, it only helped. I think when that happened, Webtoon tried to edit our content so that it's more optimized for mobile viewing. And Webtoon has over 17 million readers on a monthly basis in Korea alone. That's practically everyone with mobile phone in Korea between, say, age of 13 and 40. Okay, so Webtoon started in Korea. How did you begin business expansion outside of Korea and penetrate other markets, including the United States? It was only right for us to start looking overseas for more audience. And we saw demand online through scanlation sites. And we knew there was a demand, so we kicked off our service in English uh, in 2014, mainly with the translated titles that already had a lot of followings online. And I think in 2015, we started to really reach out to creators that were based in the U.S. or whose primary language was English. We've started reaching out to creators. Uh, we've set up our Discover platform to invite creators so they have a place to publish using the Webtoon format. And I think that's when we actually threw our first contest. Oh, okay. So this year's contest is not the first Discover Creator contest. So tell me, when was the first contest? Uh, at the end of 2014, I think the grand prize winner for our first contest was $30,000. Wow, not too shabby. And how did it go? Everyone thought this was a scam. We <laughs> received a lot of emails uh, saying that this is not true. Uh, we ran ads up on DeviantArt. I remember reading all the comments. No one really believed that a comics company throw out a contest and, you know, it would give you a grand prize of $30,000 and, you know, that you're still able to own your comics. No one believed that. That's fantastic. I started reading them, I guess, around 2015, 2016, somewhere in there. And I've read quite a few of the comics that are listed on Webtoons. And some of the guests have actually been on my show, like Dean Haspel, who does the Red Hook and War Cry, Tom Zaylor, who does Warning Label, Steve Conley, who does Middle Age. And I've read others, too, on there, like The Purple Heart, The Brooklynite, Strange Tales of Oscar's On. There's a lot of different genre on there. Things are divided by genre. Or you can just go in there and try to discover new ones and see what's popular. And uh, apparently your site gets an awful lot of traffic. And there's an awful lot of comments posted after each episode of a particular digital comic. And you can see the interaction and the likes from people that follow the book. They get really good traction. And you're here to tell us today about a new contest this year, the Discover Creator Contest. And tell me about the categories for the prizes and when the deadlines are and how writers and creators can take part in this contest. We threw our first contest at the end of 2014. And back then, we didn't have any categories because uh, we didn't have the distribution uh, resources that we have now. And, you know, it was even hard convincing creators to come aboard back then when we didn't have our brands that we have right now. So we did our first contest and we worked with Stan on our next contest for a superhero contest. We haven't through any contest since then. I think sometimes doing a contest makes creators be a little bit more edge and we felt that sometimes the environment does not feel as friendly as it is, even if we say it is. Setting up a contest turns environment a little bit hostile, so we have been trying to stay away from doing any sort of contest for nearly three years. The reason why we decided to do this contest in 2018 with multiple categories, we felt that now we, we have more uh, credentials than we used to have. We actually have more audience than we ever could have imagined. This was a great opportunity for any aspiring creator to actually find an audience through this contest. And if anyone's a bit hesitant doing comics for a living, I thought this could be a good motivation for anyone out there. So the four categories that we have are most gripping, most laughs, most feels, and most epic. Most gripping is genres such as thriller, horror, supernatural, mystery, crime, most laughs, uh, comedy, slice of life, most epic fantasy, sci-fi, action, and superhero, and most feels is made of drama and romance. The reason why I broke down the contest into these four categories was, one, like I said, we have more audience in diverse genres. We felt comfortable 
calling out for creators who have interested in specific genre. We grouped these genres together because, well, I believe the best experience you get out from comic or any sort of fictional work is always the emotion. So I was trying to put a wrapping around these genres with the emotional connection that you would create. For me, the payoff from, say, a thriller or horror is always that i sort of on the edge of my sit whenever I'm reading such genre. Now, how does one enter the contest and when is the deadline? The way to enter the contest is if you have a Webtoon account, you go to Discover. If you don't, it's really easy to sign up. You just need your email, and you would sign up on Webtoon and go to the Discover section of Webtoon, click on Publish, and it gives you all the instructions. Final image that gets uploaded on the site should be a JPEG file that is 800 pixels wide. And the canvas could be as long as you can imagine, as long as, you know, one episode is smaller than 20 megs, file is less than 1280 pixels tall. The contest is broken down into two phases. And for the first phase, deadline is September 13th, 2018. During this first phase, we are going to pick two finalists from each category, most gripping, most laughs, most epic, and most feels. And each category has different length requirements. Most gripping, for example, you would need to submit or upload more than five episodes with each episode being more than 40 panels. 40 panels on Webtoon would usually translate or roughly translate to three to four pages depending on how you lay things out. For each category, you can find the length requirement on the website. Each finalist will win $5,000 each and also an offer to become featured on Webtoon. From there, I understand you're going to whittle it down some more to four quarter finalists by November 5th, and they could each win $25,000. So once you're picked as an eight finalist, everyone will be invited to New York Comic Con, and from then on, they will all have Webtoon editors working with them to provide any sort of editorial support that they would need and they will each publish two more episodes starting from September 22nd to October 28th, and then between, you know, period of November 6th and November 14th, we are going to pick out the final winner. And the final winner can win $50,000. Right. During the selection process, we are going to pick four finalists from each category, and they're all going to win $25,000 as a round two prize. And of these four, we are going to pick out one grand prize winner who will win $50,000. And that's, I think, 80000 a total of a grand prize to take home. So as a person advances, quarterfinalist, you get 5 k if you're a semifinalist, you get that 5 k you keep it, plus you get 25 And if you're the grand prize winner, you keep all the money you win along the way, so you can collectively earn $80,000 for your comic. That's right. If you become the eight contender, you'll collect 5000 If you advance to the next stage and become one of the four finalists, you'll collect additional 25000 so 30000 in total. And then if you win the grand prize from there, 30000 plus 50000 so the grand prize in total would become 80000 uh, Who will be judging the contest? The judgment criteria is broken into 40% of audience engagement and 60% of judge assigned scores. We are going to set up internal panel of judges for judge assigned scores. What we are mainly looking for is having a strong narrative, strong character and plot. And we've assigned some genre-specific attributes that we're looking for and some of more technicality, which has to do with having a great pacing or having a great clarity and readability, judged by a group of internal judges that we set up at Webtoon. So again, folks, that deadline to submit your comic is September 13th. I will put a link to the site in the show notes today to find that easily on Webtoons. I'll put that link in there so you can just click on it and go right to the site and enter. And if you're not an artist or writer and you know somebody who is, tell them about this. Have them check it out. And hey, even if you don't know anyone who is or are not an artist or writer yourself, check out Webtoons. I, like I said, I read quite a few books on there. And it's an interesting and great way to read comics. Very easy to scroll through in that vertical fashion. So uh, yeah, and this is a great contest. It's, I like that you're going out looking for new talent. 
And uh, this gives them an opportunity, another opportunity, another way, another platform, one with a lot of eyeballs on it, to get noticed. David, thank you so much for speaking to me today about the contest. Thank you for having me, Chris. And yeah, I really encourage everyone who's listening to this podcast to still jump on to the contest because there is time. And also, even if you don't win the contest, you'll find an audience. We do have other business models that we are coming up with, such as ad sharing, to help creators who find audience on our Discover platform to monetize in different ways. So I would really encourage everyone to jump in. And again, I will add a link to the show notes so you can get more information about the contest for yourself or for a friend. And now my interview with Mark Torres, the artist on Cold Spots. Mark, okay. welcome to Creator Talks. Thanks, Chris. Uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having uh, me and Colin Cold Spots. Glad to have you on the show. Now, this is your first time on the show, so please tell me about the city you reside in. You're in the Philippines, so whereabouts are you and what's it like? I'm in Manila. It's your prototypical uh, urban concrete jungle. <laughs> Malls, uh, business buildings, condos have taken over nature. People constantly rushing from points A to B. Legendary traffic jams 24-7, like whole year round. It's just a beast that never sleeps. Now, what are some of your favorite spots to go to in Manila? Favorite? Um, well, unfortunately, none. Um, <laughs> Not I'd one? rather uh, not none. No, uh, it's it's crazy. It's so super busy for me. I'd rather you know, uh, road trip. You know, despite you know having to travel hours just to escape, and chill at one of the nearby beaches, or even take a flight out of the country, like say Singapore. Well, actually, both options are almost equivalent to the time you'd spent on the road. Sometimes even less. <laughs> it's that crazy. The traffic here. Okay. Well, I understand. All right. Well, let's talk about comics. Now, you became interested in being an artist through watching cartoons and reading comics. What were some of those cartoons and comics that you read when you were a youth? I got interested first with uh, via cartoons, you know, those glorious 80s stuff like Transformers, G.I. Joe, Brave Star, Silver Hawks, and stuff. And, uh, also, the animes and kaijus and sentai shows from Japan, like Ultraman, Godzilla, Voltus 5, Gundam, Macross, and stuff. Um, comics came in uh, a little later, courtesy of an uncle who would give me a stash of them. Um, Batman, Flash, Firestorm, Green Lantern were some of my earliest intros into comics. Have you kept those comics? Are they beat up like my comics when I was a kid? <laughs> uh, well, I think... Uh, that was one of the joys of uh, reading comics back then is that you just didn't care about, you know, keeping them uh, like mint. Uh, just read them, roll them, keep them in your back pocket or just forget where you where you left them. So unfortunately, those gems are not with me anymore. I, I know I could have gotten like rich, crazy rich out of them, right? But unfortunately, they were gone earlier. Yeah, I know, I know. I was the same way. I kind of <laughs> was pretty rough on them because I took them everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And I would read them again and again and again, the ones I really liked. And I'd you know, fold them yeah. back. And I, some of them did survive. I mean, they, well, actually, I still have most of them. But some did survive rather unscathed just because I got a little older and said, you know, I should probably be a little more careful than I have been in the past. Thank <laughs> God. <laughs> but hey. Well, you were wiser than me. <laughs> not by much. I've done some pretty stupid things with some very valuable comics, not realizing it at the time. But hey, they're meant to be read. That's the whole point. Yes, yes. Not to be like, put in plastic and put away, never touched. No, no. Even now, that's, that's how I look at things. Like They're meant to be consumed, not to be kept caged and plastic bagged and, you know, um, left in the dark for how many years for money? <laughs> I know. I, I know a big thing now is grading and slabbing. And I think that is a really good thing to do for books that are super rare. I mean, <laughs> truly rare by definition of being like under 50 copies in existence, less than 100 copies in existence. But, you know, to me, something that just came out last week is slab it. Eh, you know, now you're getting into trading card territory and treating them like giant baseball cards. And I just, yeah. you know, it just, 
I don't feel good about that. I just, I want to hold it. I want to read it. I want to look inside. There was a time you could sniff the pages. You still can with certain comics. <laughs> Isn't that one of the joys of the, like smelling the actual papers? Like, yes. You're, you're a junkie, right? You, you, you open the book and yeah. then... You take time to smell it and then caress the paper. Oh, that smell. It's wonderful. I, I pull out my old comic books and I'm like, ah, oh, yes. And I've noticed that certain ones have different scents to them correct, depending correct. upon the paper. So there must be some yeah. some kind of tree they used or process. Uh, <laughs> you know, I want to, there must be a way to identify these just by, just by smell. Almost like, you know, wine. You can sniff it and go, ah, oh, yes, the terroir was over here. <laughs> So addicting, right? It's it's almost like you know when you drive to a gasoline station when you're a kid and then you smell the gas. It's like, oh man, guys, <laughs> <laughs> the <stuff> rocks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm pretty messed up, so you know. <laughs> so that leads to my next question: How did you choose to expand and refine your artistic skills? It wasn't sniffing gas. <laughs> I think that was one of the factors, actually. <laughs> But what what do you do? What uh, what have you done, and what do you like to do to kind of flex those artistic muscles and expand your horizons and hone your skills? It comes from this appreciation for the non-mainstream side of things. I kind of got heavy into the indies during the '90s um, when when things were getting more mainstream, more you know, um, more superhero, more more flashy and stuff. So I I swerved and discovered all these fantastic independents. I was already well familiar with Vertigo then, but the knowledge that there are so much fantastic materials out there, not only in terms of art, but more on um, with the quality of writing, with the, with the story. In terms of art, I've always looked up to Mike Mignola, Alex Thoth, uh, Sergio Tope, Ashley Wood, and Jay Lee. Not only in terms of their very unique approaches, but more importantly for being bold, to keep learning and evolving and breaking stuff, uh, I always find joy in, in in learning and you know getting more skills as I go on in this thing called life and this career in arts. I, I just love to experiment. I mean, that's very important for me to to have fun while doing this because we all know uh, comics can be really time consuming and labor intensive, and just need to also enjoy the journey. Not you don't need to like confine yourself in in your studio or in your room all day all night every day of the week i always make it a point to experiment to also not just consume comics i actually unfortunately don't follow mainstream comics inspiration comes more from music and movies uh, i've always looked at being an artist in comics as a both being a director and a cinema, cinematographer so I always study how most of the directors and cinematographers frame their shots or do the pacing, and I try to translate those knowledge into comics. Now, moving on to your current work with Colin Bunn, Cold Spots, how have those techniques translated into your telling of this story? I've approached, well, not only with Cold Spots, but also uh, my previous projects. I always approach stuff like a movie because... We're at the disadvantage of telling really awesome stories, but in print, so we don't have sound effects or we don't have the advantage of motion to be able to guide the readers into how we would want to pace um, the action or the scenes. So movies have really helped me into like how to break down the scripts from you know from the words to panels and the pagings and stuff. It just also inspires me into taking on a more experimental approach in graphic storytelling. And I think like with how I would approach the shadows, the lighting and stuff, especially for something like Cold Spots where, where lighting is very critical. Um, I always um, try to remember what I've learned and what I've always appreciated from films that I've watched before. Now, a layer that you've added this comic that Cullen was telling me about, and you're the genius behind this, <laughs> is you have composed music for each issue, and folks can download it with their smartphone through a QR code in the letters page. So tell me, how did you compose this music? What did you use? How did you come about getting the themes you wanted to have for each book, and how you laid all that out? I've always loved soundtracks, so in the early stages of us developing Cold Spots, uh, already felt like 
having a score will not only up the reading experience, it could also act as a thank you for folks who'll be picking up the books, sort of like a surprise at the end of the horror ride. Um, I pitched the idea to Colin and glad he was also into it. Uh, my process, I first reread uh, Colin's script, uh, marking down moments that trigger emotional synapses in me, um, then have the pages play on a loop to inspire the song's cadence and hooks. A good glass of bourbon is also always involved somewhere <laughs> within this process. <laughs> I record just at home using my laptop, my trusty laptop, and um, an Arturia Minilab Mark II MIDI controller, a couple of my guitars and mic and whatever noise I can record, sample, and you know, mix into this cacophony of hunting and emotional auditory experience. Basically, the first track that we're releasing for issue one, it's entitled Reunion, is a direct translation of how I felt while reading the script the first time. So I hope that readers would also, you know, feel the same way once after they read the entire first issue and then they, they have the soundtrack play along as an accompaniment for it. The ghosts in the story, the way you created their look, is very chilling, and I find <laughs> sometimes less is more. How did you come up with that particular look for the ghosts? It was Colin who kickstarted that idea of them being this hazy-faced, um, almost like moving shadows with pinpoint eyes. I, I immediately loved the, the pitch that he gave me from that you know, imaging, and then um, I added in this vibe of these entities um, existing in between frames of you know those old uh, viewmasters. Mm -hmm. I kind of look at them like they're in between those frames, so like acting like after images. So that's my design thought going in. And then, as uh, readers would notice, there'd be variations of the ghosts as we go along. Um, the story it would reflect um, the entities' um, intent or um, like like people, you know, because basically this. Uh, these entities are also like people they're, they're a mixed bag of emotions and you know frustrations and past, presence and future so that's how we collaborated into developing something hopefully distinct because we know there's been a lot of um, interpretations of ghosts throughout time and throughout all the various media available right so we'd want to also contribute to that lore Well it is a very effective look and just a side note off the beaten path you mentioned Viewmaster's and that's yeah. something I understand. Because some people are like, what's that? Do you have a Viewmaster? Yeah, yeah, I did when I was a kid. We're aging ourselves here right now. <laughs> I guess like most of your uh, listeners would be scratching their heads. Viewmasters, what are those things? So. I'll post a picture because I, yes. still, I, <laughs> no, I still have my Viewmaster as a kid. Oh, man, that's epic. <laughs> I recently dug it out and I showed it to my son, who at the time was about five. And he loved it because I have, I still have some of the old reels that you could pop into the discs. Yeah, yeah. I have um, this Charles Schultz Peanuts one. Oh, I love those. They're like 3D figures. Peanuts were my favorite because my, my sister and I had individual Viewmasters, and then uh, our father would send like a bunch of these reels. Like mostly it's just the Disney's or like mm -hmm. the old comic strips. So we just share. And then I'd keep my, my Peanuts the way safe from her because I know uh, once she pops those in into her Viewmaster, she's gonna mess up the, the film. <laughs> so I really treasured. I, I mean, I love Venus. I I, I love Shelter. So like, no, these are mine. I think I have that. I think I had something with dinosaurs, and I know I had some of the Apollo landings, like space uh -huh. shots. I know they're around somewhere. I'll have to dig those out. But those are really cool. It's fun when you're a kid. You're trying to slot those reels perfectly yeah. into the machine. And then sometimes they not fit perfectly on the, the lenses, right? That's one of those things that survived from childhood. Not everything did, but that did for me. Again, you're, you're proving you're wise. you were wiser than me. <laughs> well, my parents would say, you know, hold on to this. You're going to want to keep this. And they would keep everything I had. I'm like, I don't want that. And they'd keep everything. So fortunately, <laughs> yeah. Some stuff made it. Back to cold spots and ghosts. Have you ever encountered a spirit or apparition? In fact, I had. Ah. But mostly, yeah. Um, the Philippines actually is very rich in terms of its uh, supernatural lore and mythologies. And strangely enough, you know, I mean, the analytical mind would dismiss 
the existence of these things, but you'd actually encounter unexplained phenomena in your life. One vivid, you know, encounter and one that I always tell in in the interviews is uh, would involve the dwarves. That my childhood, yes, there are dwarves here. Uh, also, I think well, I'm I'm glad that didn't stick with me as I was growing up. But even in my adult life, uh, I'd still uh, experience supernatural stuff like smelling flowers or candles from a wake that I visited out of nowhere. I mean, I just smelled these things and um, instantly and very distinctly remembered that person who passed. It doesn't matter if it was like just a few days ago or years. I'd see the person's face in my mind it's like it just pop out of nowhere i mean just early this year my my grandma people uh try to explain away certain things that happen is giving it some kind of rational explanation and it could be something from the other side and people that are in tune with the other side the ghost aberrations whatever you want to call them this energy they say it's always there you just have to be tuned to it you just have to be aware of it and listen and look for it. So that's uh, very interesting. I, I haven't had one directly myself. I know people that have. So it's it's a real phenomena. It's kind of sad to think that once we die, we, we cease to exist and there's nothing beyond. So maybe there's like this alternate universe just vibrating on a different frequency. Like you said, like frequencies, right? Nothing is ever destroyed. It just changes form, you know, matter to energy and back and forth. Yep. Energy is never destroyed. It just transforms. Absolutely. In terms of doing the art for this book, what have you learned from your co-creator, Cullen, about the process of making horror comics? Not about him per se, but something you've learned about the process working with Cullen. I kind of have always had this idea of how to do horror uh, in comics, especially because I grew up watching, you know, all those 80s horror films. So the romance started very early on in life. And I've had a great opportunity to, to have work with some of those legends that I enjoyed when I was young, like Hellraiser, something by Richard Matheson. With Cullen, we're, we're just two fanatics of the genre, having fun and trying to contribute to an already abundant well, just doing what we really love, you know, um, and we hope that, you know, that passion also translates to the readers. I think it will. I think people are going to really enjoy this series. And if I think I've already mentioned this fact, but just to reiterate, it's going to be coming out on August 22nd. So yes, when this comes out, it'll be the following week on New Comic Book Day. So hopefully folks did pre-order this. If not, there may be some copies in the store, but it's definitely going to be a great horror story to check out. In case some are like thinking this could be just your standard uh, run-of-the-mill horror ghost story, I think they're in for quite a surprise. Um, you know, Colin, uh, he has this penchant for writing multi-layered stories with very... Um, believable characters and that's what I really always have enjoyed with horror not only with horror but with uh, the the things I consume is at the very heart of it it's the human condition it's not about the monsters or the blood and the death I hope readers will be you know interested enough to, to check the book out and you know see there's so much um, that we have been working on that hopefully they'd also enjoy you know the other thing about it too is it's got a very personal level to it where Dan is looking for his estranged wife and daughter. So that adds another layer to it, just that whole relationship, that that strained relationship and the connection that he has with a daughter whom he's never met. I mean, you know, it was she was unborn when they split. Yeah. yeah. So he's seeing her picture for the first time. Like, oh, that's Grace. So, yeah, there's a whole nother story involved there. So it's not just a horror story. There's a lot more depth to it. And I think that will also appeal to a lot of readers. Thanks, thanks. <laughs> and now I have some fun questions that I ask all my guests. What do you, Mark, like to do for rest and relaxation? Rewatch film, series, and concerts that I love, usually with a glass. So try to shut off, turn off the, the mind and just, you know, enjoy some downtime. If not, I'd grab a guitar and just, you know, strum away and stuff. <laughs> Okay. Do you practice often with your guitar? Is that part of your daily routine? Not as much these days, but I'm I'm glad at least that I still get to to pick up the guitar or the the MIDI keyboard and also apply music, mix it up with comics. So both of my loves are 
interacting with each other. <laughs> well, and it shows, and it certainly have served you well with cold spots. Awesome. Thinking back to a birthday that stands out in your mind, something that was special or something that was unique, what was it about that birthday that you remember? Well, I think one would be a Hong Kong trip a few years back. Um, not only because of the ridiculous food we consumed and the adventures, but this was during the time that I was really collecting Ashley Wood's 3A stuff. You know, those robots that are fantastically made and painted. Almost looks like stuff from Ashley's um, comics. We were in Hong Kong and then there was this shop selling this particular robot, uh, PopBot. It was selling the quite rare and hard to find during the time. So I had to battle this merchant for... And, and it was hard because the seller wasn't fluent in English. So... I don't know, sign languages and calculators were involved. And <laughs> it was just crazy for a toy, for a toy. So that kind of stuff. <laughs> now, still thinking back to your early teen years, what did you have on the bedroom wall, pictures or posters? And what music were you listening to at the time in your room? The safe for work answer would be <laughs> peanut pages of Nirvana, Shirley Manson. I, 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 I have a, well, have, still have. I have a big crush on Shirley Manson, band picture grunge and stuff, you know, ripped from the pages of magazines like Rolling Stone, Circus. Um, in terms of music, well, grunge, of course. Um, yeah, mostly grunge during that time. I was angry. <laughs> <laughs> angry but happy, you know. <laughs> anger was in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then after anger, you know, you'd have the emo day. So. <laughs> yeah, I guess I should say angst was in, not so much the anger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. That's the technical term. Now, this one's a little tougher. It's hypothetical. If you were stuck on a deserted island, and this isn't forever, you know, this isn't permanent. So you don't have to worry about survival guides and stuff. What is the one book you'd want to have for pleasure? Something you want to read or something you like to reread? I actually have one already. It's Lovecraft's Necronomicon. They released um, this massive commemorative edition, almost like a Bible-sized one. So I think that will last me for like how long I'm, I'll be incarcerated in that island. Okay. Another hypothetical. Toy company says, hey, we want to make an action figure of you. You're such a success. We're going to make an action figure. <laughs> what would be your accessory you would want to have with that figure of you? Possibly an electric guitar, because at least I can also use that for a weapon. <laughs> And your axe. <laughs> yeah, literally and figuratively, figuratively an axe. Um, also, probably a bottle of Jack to keep me refreshed, and it can also be a weapon, right? Right. <laughs> That's good. I like those. So that leads <laughs> me to your beverage of choice. And what would that be? Would that be uh, whiskey, Jack, bourbon? <laughs> I think you answered your question on that one. Okay. Now, this final question of all the questions that you've been asked in interviews, what's the one question that you have not been asked yet? You wish people would. Something you want them to know about you. If you weren't doing comics right now, what would you be? Something like that. That is a good one. Yeah. Would you play music? Strangely you... enough, right? <laughs> and again, you answered the question. <laughs> I am pretty, you know, I'm pretty clear and very obvious. <laughs> Before getting into art, were you more heavily into music at the time? Were you playing and performing in public? I think there was a phase that, you know, the guys would also run the stage. But there comes a time when, you know, usually I think high school, right? We'd get introduced to like, you know, maturing and then seeing all your kitty classmates starting to grow into fine ladies. <laughs> and then the temptation starting to come in. It's like, okay, I think I need to like drop the comics for a while and maybe do something more mature or cooler. Not only for the ladies, but I think that's how I felt like I wanted to grow personally. And it was also during the high, the high school years that not only because of the grunge explosion, but, you know, my, my parents gifted me with an electric guitar. It's like, wow, is this a sign? As most guys, as most kids with an electric guitar and then being into the grunge scene, you, you, you find other kids like you as, you know, the same inclination, same angst, form a band, then, you know, for years just continue making noise. And then you grow up, and then you need to get a job. And then, thankfully, you know, I, I think I never did have an 
official normal job like nine to five desk job. I've always just been into design, graphic designs actually. And then comics started coming in during that time. So I was tackling both um, a day job of graphic designs and then comics in the evening. And then it came to a point that I need to sacrifice one. And then I was finding more enjoyment and more passion in comics. And thankfully, I'm still here. And, you know, still being able to do all this cool stuff with all these fantastic people like Colin. Well, I'm glad that's the choice you made because I like cold spots and I'm sure everybody else will too. So thanks for bringing us that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. That's so nice to hear. I hope, you know, we're really super happy with this. And then it took a while. And I think timing really is a big factor for this because we could have released this earlier. But I think the universe kind of works very mysteriously. I mean, I've always had tons of respect to the universe. And we, we just kept on going. It's like We got to do some other stuff as well. Colin has a lot. I mean, even up to now, like you, you'd have to be wondering, does he even sleep? Or has he already cloned himself at this point with all the various projects he has going on with all these various pro- publishers? And I also get to, do, to have some fun with TMNT and Judge Red before, mostly with IDW. So I think timing, timing really played a lot to it. And I think we're, we're both very comfortable right now producing the book. I mean, it, it's very natural. Um, and it's here. It's in a few few days, we'd be holding our baby. <laughs> and we hope, really, really hope that readers and your listeners would also take joy into what we created. I'm sure they will. And that's a five-part miniseries to start on August 22nd, being published through Image Comics, Cold Spots. Mark, thank you so much for being on Creator Talks. Chris, thank you very much. This has been fun, and cheers. (laughs) Coming up next week, Ed Piscor on X-Men Grand Design Second Genesis. Nuff said. Thank you for joining me this week. Please rate and review the show on iTunes. Even just a star rating goes a long way to help the show. And you can follow me on my Facebook page, at Creator Talks Pod, and on Twitter, that's at Creator Talks Pod as well. That's all for now. For Creator Talks, I'm Christopher Calloway. Until next time.